This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. And it is chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whoever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We're in a sermon series on changing for good, change from the inside out. It's a series on transformation. I've thought a lot about that. How do do we really change when, oh, maybe guesstimate, 95% of our New Year's resolutions are broken before the month of January is over. You know, change sounds, at least on the surface of it, it sounds really good. And we all probably want to be new and improved versions of ourselves or more Christ-like. We want that, genuinely. And hand in hand with that, we resist change. Okay? People just in general resist change. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? Leave well enough alone. Pastor Mark has mentioned people don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain, the the effort it takes to change. Which, you know, if you flip that around, it says people don't change until things get really bad. Change. I heard recently about a book entitled Change or Die by Alan Dutchman, uh, published in 2007. What if that was a choice you had? Change or or die, literally life and death choice. What if a trusted, well-informed authority figure told you that you had to make some significant, life-altering, permanent changes in your life or you, would, you wouldn't be around much longer? In his book, he concluded even though we have the ability to change, most people don't. In fact, the odds are nine to one that we don't or won't. He was talking about things as serious as um, 
serious uh, heart. Let's see, what were the examples? Um, suffering from uh, heart disease, repeat offenders in the criminal justice system, even broadening it to businesses that were caught in kind of a, a mold of unsuccessful business practice and they were going down. No matter how serious, no matter what the circumstance, nine to one, the odds, we don't change. Change for good from the inside out, it's possible, but usually it, doesn't, it really doesn't happen. It's not fun, it's not exciting, it's not quick, and yet it is important to remember when, when people do change for the good, it is worth it. When people do push through those barriers, it is worth it. In the Bible, if anyone needed to change, it was Saul. And sometime during this message, you know, he changed his name to Paul, and that, that's part of the change in his life, the, the name change. But, but Saul, if anyone needed to change among the people in, in the Bible, it was Saul, because if he didn't change, it might be your life that was shortened if you lived in the time of history that he lived, because he specifically targeted Christians to persecute them. And he had written permission to go and arrest him, put him into prison, punish them. Sometimes the course of that punishment led to their death. And he was a part of that. People avoided Saul. He wasn't on somebody's outflow list, how they could help Saul take one step closer to Jesus. It didn't happen. But God had different plans. So one of the days when Saul's on his way to the city of Damascus with the intent of arresting Christians, persecuting them, God stops him in his tracks, blinding light, an audible voice. He was able to at least hear specific words that you're not just persecuting Christians, you're persecuting Jesus Christ. And, and he was at a crossroads in his life. That, that idea of being at a crossroads with Jesus happens for every single one of us. What, what are we going to do with Jesus? Okay. One minute Saul is heading this way, and then he's at a crossroads. What is he going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to reject him? Are we going to accept him? And you can. Some people go all out when they fall in love with Christ. Some people seem to kind of dabble in it. Okay. At a crossroads, what are you going to do? For Saul, he was, the, he was the kind of person that did things not just 100%, it's like 110% if that's possible. He went all out. And yet, the change, you know, going from this way, persecuting the church to this way, it still took time, and I don't know if people realize that he actually spent, shortly after this time where, you know, the blinding light on the way to Damascus, he spent about three years in Arabia, and there's only like one, two sentences in the Bible that even mentioned that that happened. So we don't know all the details, but he's, he's getting a handle on Christianity and, and reprocessing things through his own past experience and, and getting a better understanding. And yet, even after that three-year period, pretty intense, and he... He has a better understanding enough to teach and preach and, and write letters that eventually w were part of our Bible. 
he still said, you know, I, on the application part, I still haven't arrived. And he was working on that his whole life. And so he wrote in, in one of his letters in Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. And then he repeats himself, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and he, he, he never did arrive totally in applying all this to his life. And that's how it is when we talk about change from the inside out. Even for somebody that would change and go 110%, it still took a lifetime. I want to spend the rest of the sermon talking about one specific way we change and it's in this visual here you've seen it before uh, Dallas Willard's triangle about change and we're going to be right here in life experiences that that's where we're going to be the rest of the of the message our life experiences that happen to us and I'm talking about a significant experience that's a a shaping experience, okay? What our mind does with that experience is turn it into a story, okay? We remember things when they're put into a story form. That's what our mind does. So, who was there? What happened? How did I feel about it? What actions took place? Okay, there's a story that our mind does with that experience. And we live out of those stories, the teaching that we, that we learn, we, we live out of those stories. We, we dream in story form. We can hope in, in a story form. We can worry in the form of a story. It's not coincidence that the Bible, much of the Bible is written in the form of, of stories. True stories, you know, not... Once upon a time, make believe, but true, but story form. Because God knows we learn and we can change if we change the stories that, that we live out of. So let me give a few examples of stories and, and how that process happens. And there, there's endless categories that you could pick. So, Money, very common category. We all think about it pretty regularly. I've got stories. You've got stories that shape how you believe about money. I think of one very powerful story. When I was growing up, our family struggled. A lot of families struggle with finances. My parents struggled with a near bankruptcy. It wasn't exactly a bankruptcy, but it was close to it. And... Money just wasn't there. And yet I know it, it was a, a pr proud thing for my mom to repeat and remind us, everyone that they owed money to, they paid back. It took years of time, but and so they struggled. Well, that story shapes how I think about money. Very strong. I can't get away from it. And yet, even though the principles are, are largely good, you know, work ethic and save and honor your commitments and things like that, I still need to take, what does God's word say? What does the truth of God say about that story? Is it, does it ring true? Or does some part of that story need to be modified? 
Okay, because if it isn't, I'll continue to live out of that story, even if there's a, a lie mixed in it. I'll continue to live it out. Take another story or example. Just our, our self-image. Okay, we have stories about how we feel about ourselves, and not all stories are bad. Okay, good, bad, a whole mixture of stories. One good story on the self-image category for me is. Growing up, I had parents that loved me completely. Okay? In a sense, I could do no wrong. Now, that is definitely an exaggeration when I was little growing up. But as I got to be an adult, it was not particularly an exaggeration. I could do no wrong. It was just and to have that kind of unconditional love and affirmation from mom and dad was, was very encouraging, lifting up in my esteem of myself. Okay, that's, that's a positive thing. There were negative stories that I remember about how I view myself. And I remember being teased as a kid. Teased about, you know, how I acted. I was too, you know, I did my homework at school, but that was a subject for being teased. Teased about how I looked and my hair, at least, you know, when I had hair. They would tease me about it. Or my beliefs. And... They made up stuff to tease me, and it's funny how, not funny, but it's remarkable that when there's a negative experience, that seems to hold on stronger than those positive ones. Okay? I can have loving parents, hey, wonderful, and I can have a neighbor kid that teases me, and the neighbor kid teasing me can sound out louder than my parents that say, I love you. It's just interesting how the negative and Gary Smalley in one of his books and he was writing in the context of marriages and yet it's still the, the principle is there it takes five positive experiences to, to counteract or to balance out one negative five to one I, I don't know why it has to be lopsided but that just seems to be how it is so if we're you know shining the light of God's truth on it there you're not going to just change because, okay, now you've heard the truth, you got it, great. Go. There's a repetition in here. It, it just doesn't happen overnight. But that's a part of how we change. And if we don't, if we don't change those, see, there's the teasing, there's some lies in there. There was some untruth, unhealthy, dysfunctional stuff in what my neighbor said about myself. It's just not true. Now, if I don't change that story, I'll continue living in that lie <laughs> years later L let me give you a third example of story not all the stories that we live out of have to be our own personal story they could be somebody else's story or even something you have read in a book that still has been a shaping experience for you so an example of somebody else that has shaped me my wife Cynthia's grandfather art had a story that affected him and it affected me in the category of forgiveness her grandpa art had a son who was swimming in a roped off swimming area and a, a, a guy driving a speedboat the, the guy was under the influence of alcohol and he drove the speedboat into the roped off area and hit the propeller hit his son in the head and killed him and her, grand, <clears throat> her grandfather forgave that man. 
And, and it was a deep, genuine forgiveness. It was not casual. He specifically did it because of when he looked in his Bible and saw the radical way God forgives, he wanted to live that out. And it wasn't just a surface thing that, that left a lingering you know, bitterness. It was total. Well, I know art. That affects how I think about forgiveness. See, those stories, and we live out of those stories. Here's the tragic part for, for so many of us. We live out of the, the messages in those stories, but most of the time our stories go unexamined. Most of the time, all these stories we have up in our mind, these, these experiences that our mind has turned into a story, most of the time they go unexamined. And so if there's lies a part of those, if there's dysfunction or half-truths, we continue living, certainly not according to the Bible or the character of Christ, we continue to live in our old ways. Because we haven't changed, modified, replaced the story in our mind. Stories run our life, and sometimes stories ruin our life. Another example, but going back to our Bible character, Saul. Okay, Saul, part of his change was a name change, Saul to Paul. But in Saul's life, when he put God's truth on it and examined how he viewed himself... Maybe this is while he was in Arabia for three years. Maybe this was during the extended times he was in prison. But when he sat down and examined his life, he, this is kind of a self-image example, the, the one that, that was read earlier. Here's what he said in, again in Philippians 3. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay? Pretty, pretty confident guy just in his own abilities. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisees. So, see, he's going, he's going through these high points, these significant experiences in his life. That that it, that's his identity. Regarding the law of Pharisee, for zeal, persecuting the church, legalistic righteousness, faultless. Okay, so best of the best. And then he, he has the light of Christ look on it, and he comes... There's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself, okay? We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, right? Okay? okay to feel good about yourself. But how he felt toward God, okay, I'm right with God and all this because look how good I am. God, see, best of the best. When he examines it with God's light, he says, whatever was to my profit... I consider that a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For whose sake? I've lost everything. I consider them rubbish or garbage that was read, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, comes from the law and all these wonderful things I've done, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. 
when he took a different view of all his accomplishments, they were rubbish. The King James Version actually uses the word dung, which certainly more graphically and maybe more accurately describes the, the sentiment he had toward the past. You talk about changing the story in your mind. One minute he's boasting proud, and the next thing it's dung for the surpassing greatness, all of a sudden the image of Christ and the surpassing greatness knowing Him, that's everything to Him. And He's living out of that new story. That's why Paul wrote in, in Ephesians 4, and that's, if, if you went to, you know, the, that reference in the center of the triangle, he says, put off the old and put on the new. Okay, The old experience, the old story, the new Put it off and, and, and put on the new. You remember, I don't know what week it was, it was a few weeks ago, Pastor Mark used jackets to illustrate the old and the new. And so this is my old high school letter jacket. And you know, I've got the same problem that Mark does because my biceps have grown a little bit more and so it doesn't quite fit like it did in high school. Actually, in high school, I think it was a little baggy. But, in, okay, the illustrations can all break down, so just follow with, if this represents all kinds of stories from high school and that period of life, again, it's not throwing out the baby with the bat. Everything all those experiences, stories, they're not all bad. There's a lot of wonderful things in, in our memories, stories, that we want to cherish. Okay? I've got a lot of wonderful things. I, I barely made the, gymna- the A-team, but I'm so glad I did. You know? And that's a good story, but frankly, not everything about high school was commendable in how I thought and acted and so forth. So let's just pretend that this only represents the the negative stuff that that doesn't ring true with God's word and okay nope that th- this only represents like the bad that you want to put off and then I've got a new jacket and this represents the new okay well what do we do with the old jacket now I got to try to find my place here see how easy that's going to be. Yeah, harder than I thought. There we go. What do we do with the old jacket? Okay, remember the, the you know, take off the old, put on the new. I don't know when, when I take off a jacket. My kids don't always do this, but I tend to hang it up. But think of the illustration: the, the old self, you know the new self kind of a thing, those old stories that have lies, untruths, you know, take off the old. If you just hang it up, you, you, you can get it again. And, and, and isn't that what happens where, you know, maybe we're sitting in a church service and it's like, oh, I'm going to change, I'm going to be a new person, you know, I'm going I'm to take off the old, and we take it off, but we just hang it in the closet. And partway through the week or next month or whatever, we, we can be our old self again. <laughs> old self, not, you know, in a complimentary way. Because just hung up. Or you could, you could be more committed and say, well, I'm just going to, 
I'm going to put it away, but I'm, you know, it's kind of hidden. You know, and I suppose some people over here could see it, but, you know, it, it's hidden. So it's not as accessible, but still you're kind of hedging your bets, you know, just in case. You know, I kind of like the old, it, frankly, there is some enjoyable things about not doing the right thing, if we're honest. The Bible talks about sin is fun for a while, that kind of thing. So to say, I'm never going to do that again, I'm never going to think that way, you know, uh, talk, you know, well, I kind of like the way, I, you, some parts of it, I like that, so hedging your bets. It looks good on the outside, well, he really put, put the old away, put on the new, he's a different person. And at the right moment, temptation comes, and, you know, you've, you can come back and, and get the old ways. In Ephesians 4, 22, the, the, the weight of that word when it says to put off, put off the old, put off means discard. Okay? Put off means discard. It doesn't mean hang it up. It, get rid of it. Okay? I can't fit. I'm not going to get. I like this jacket. Okay? I'm not going to get rid of it. Okay? But you don't hang it up. You don't hide. You, you get rid of it. Now, this is why I got the chair up here. All this stuff takes time. Um, We're not going to leave here, okay, change the inside out, stories. It's going to be a process over a lifetime, okay? Now, I hope we take one step. We don't just say, oh, it's overwhelming, forget it. But when you think about changing the old ways you were doing things, and you might like the old ways, okay? If we're honest, <laughs> and, and to put on it, things that square with it, at first it looks like, well, you're trading up. No, it doesn't seem like it's trading up. It just means like a lot of work. And there's grieving that can take place. You might be pr- processing shame. Processing guilt, processing regret, processing anger. There's a, in taking off the jacket, it, you can illustrate it lickety-split, but in real life, it, there's a lot of stuff. If you're really going to deal with it, if you're not going to just hang it up in the closet again, it takes time to process and work through that can take months, years, Okay. Now, if you're moving in the right direction, go for it, okay? Let it take time, but, you know, be heading in the right direction. Just know that it it, it does take time, and it's not an easy process. Let me kind of wind down a little bit by just coming what's going to motivate us to do this we've got to have a story in our mind that 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 spurs us on so we we don't just okay we pray the christian story and now we can casually go on our way what spurs us on saul again our, our saul paul our bible character he had a kind of athletic stories in sports metaphors in his mind that, that he hung on to that spurred him on. One of those is in 
1 Corinthians 9. He writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, Don't you know that in a race all the runners won, run, but only one gets the prize? So it's a, it's a, he's painting a picture, but he's applying it to himself. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And they do it to get a crown that's not going to last, but we do it, Christians, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight. Different metaphor, kind of boxing metaphor. I don't fight like a man beating the air, shadow boxing. I'm not pretending. No, I beat my body. I make it my slave. So after I have preached, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. So you imagine if, if we're kind of acting this thing out that, that we just read. You're, you're in a track meet. And so you're at the starting line. Okay, on your mark. Get set, go, and you, you you take off. But you, once you get off the starting blocks, you just I don't know. You just kind of walk around a little bit. Now that, well, I've never seen that happen because it's just stupid for anybody to be in a race and do, well, it really is. In the, I I think in the in the in the Christian life, using that race kind of metaphor. There's times where people pray some prayer. Okay, uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry for my sin. Uh, thank you for dying for me. Uh, please come into my life. Okay, so they've, they've, they've started the Christian race. And then they start walking around. And they're not like Paul. They're, they're not striving to win. They're just walking around. They, well, why? Well, because I'm, I'll be in heaven. I, I got off the starting block there. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how God's going to look at some of that stuff, and I think there's a, a sense where we've got to examine our own heart and see what did we mean when we even started in the first place. You, you don't get into a race unless you plan on finishing the race. And it's even more than that. You get into a race to win the race. See? And that's Paul's driving image in his mind. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm here to win. I'm not here to play games. Okay. Well, let me summarize what, what my challenge is for myself. It's, I've been thinking about this for some weeks now. A challenge for myself and all of us in, in one sentence don't live an unexamined life. Okay. Boiling it all down. Don't live an unexamined life. Okay. It will start, hopefully today, tomorrow, this week. You take time. You, you, you get a journal maybe. And you start writing down, well, where do you start? Start with the stories that come to your mind right now. The, the easy ones, but they're fresh. For some reason, they're in your mind right now. Start with those. Shine the light of God's truth on them. Maybe they're wonderful. Well, celebrate that. Great. All of life isn't terrible. But where there's half-truths and out-and-out lies, okay, 
That's where we got to, okay, now I, that's a story. I, I'm not going to keep living out of that one. I got to replace, modify, okay? Don't live an unexamined life. For Paul, he, he radically changed his outlook. He said, for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, None of this other stuff matters. And he was all out wanting to get as close as he could to Christ. Now maybe you think of getting close to God, that that kind of intimacy with the the living God, with Christ. I don't know if that seems scary, intimidating when when you're really talking about God and and Christ and all that. Maybe it sounds, hey, go for it. It's exciting. It's the source of joy and all that. Maybe it's all the above, a little bit of tension in there. But that's what drove Saul on. If if we, for pictures we have of Christ, this is no doubt the most enduring story we have in the church. Words really don't do the full meaning. It doesn't do this justice. And it is something that we experience. Of all the stories, Jesus singled out Jesus singled out one in particular. Right here. And he said, do this. This is how I want you to remember me. A lot of other stories. Wonderful. Especially this one. Think of me this way. So Jesus, on what we know as Monday, Thursday gathers with his disciples. He knows Friday, the crucifixion, he knows that's coming in the morning. And he takes bread. He said, this is my body for you. Do this to remember me. And he takes the cup This is a Passover meal, multiple cups. This was the cup of redemption. But he's giving it new meaning, okay? Old meaning, new meaning. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul... Saul, Paul, okay, same person, different character later. Paul adds, as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming his death until he comes again. Let me offer a prayer for this. God, continue to bless, be present in this whole experience of of partaking of yourself, body and blood.
Help us draw closer, closer than we ever have before, to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.